The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So they say, whoever they are, that if you want to have a nice, peaceful social occasion, there are two subjects you should absolutely avoid talking about. (laughs) Religion, faith, and politics, right? Well, today we're going to talk about both of those things, so you'll have to understand that I've been praying a little bit more than usual this week, (laughs) because I'm up here and you're not. But I mean, I always pray, right, before I, before I speak. I do a lot of time in prayer. I pray a lot about what God wants to say. I ask God to teach me first. I need to learn something. I need to have something to pass on to you. Not just, you know, this is good for you. I got to learn first. I, I, I focus on that a lot. But this week, I've been focusing on that and focusing just on how this message will even be received, how you will receive this message, how your heart will be this week when you hear this. I mean, we talk about faith every week, right? We are a church, shouldn't be a huge surprise. But politics, really? Isn't there already enough being said about politics nowadays? Isn't that powder keg pretty much full and the fuse pretty short right about now? Wouldn't it be better for us to just kind of avoid that topic altogether here in the church and stay peaceful with each other? And yes, I would say we are really overloaded with that subject right now, but I promise you that today you're going to hear a message that is not being overplayed. You're not going to hear more of the same today because today we're going to look into what God's word has to say about the subject. And for all the speeches and all the articles and all the messages that are out there, I think this one is one that is still very much needed to be heard. So let me start by clarifying right from the beginning what we're actually doing here today, what we're not doing, and why we're doing it. My wife likes to make fun of me because she says that's what I always do. I always start my message with a disclaimer. I got to tell you what I'm not going to tell you, what I am going to tell you, and I'll tell you why I'm not telling you what I'm telling you. So when I tell you the thing and I don't tell the other thing, you know why I'm telling you it, and it's on purpose. (laughs) That's what she tells me. So we're we're talking about this as a staff and saying, you know, there's a big subject out there right now we're not talking about. We're talking about it, and John said, well, we can talk about it, but we've got to make sure that people know what we are talking about and what we're not, what we're really about. We have to have a disclaimer with this, and I said, I'll take it. I'm good at disclaimers. So here it is, okay? This is the official disclaimer today. Canyon Ridge Church is here to obey the Great Commission. We're not here to further a political cause We're here to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to be his church where everyone, you can say this with me if you want to, where everyone is welcome to explore faith and grow at their own pace. And everyone's a pretty big word. Everyone means Christians and it means people who aren't Christians. Everyone means people from all sorts of political views and backgrounds. Everyone is welcome, but they're welcome for a purpose though here. They're welcome to explore faith. And when we say that, we are not just talking about in some random, unfocused way. We explore faith, what it looks like to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. So you might notice a theme here. that we're kind of about Jesus here at Canyon Ridge Church. 
So if you pick up on that theme, you'll see why we at CRC, we don't get into a lot of specifics with politics, right? We don't endorse a specific political party. We don't endorse a political candidate. We don't have political materials that we can pass out to you to help you decide how to vote. We don't, uh, and we ask that, you know, you don't do that either while you're here, actually. We don't want you passing out political materials or having people sign your petitions or whatever. And it's not because that, you know, liking a candidate is bad or joining a party is bad. It's not because of those things, but it's because it distracts from why we're here. And it will likely work against our vision. If we are here for everyone to explore faith, but we're passing out flyers that tell you only people in this party really have it going on. What does that say to people, right? We believe it's more important that people find Jesus than that everybody here agrees on the best way to vote or to not vote on election day. But here's the deal. We won't take sides in a political food fight, but we will teach from God's word and we will apply it to real world situations. That's what we do here every week. If it doesn't apply to real life, it doesn't matter very much, does it? And this week will be no different because God's word has a lot of things, some very direct, some very relevant things to say to us about our relationship with our government and our relationships with each other. And I think these things are things that Christians desperately need to hear in a season like we're in today. In fact, um, I am intentionally today going to be using more scriptures than normal to show you that this isn't some agenda that we have for you as a staff that we want to sway you over to our side. We believe that God has some words to say into the situation that you're going into as soon as you leave those doors again today that will be wisdom and healing and life for you. So, I want us to get started with just some good background info for us today that we should always have in mind, election season or not. Not, not you know, this is only good until, you know, a week and a half from now when the election comes, but there's some good stuff that we gotta know about just our relationship with our governments. I mean, we could, we could start this out and call it, this is a little God and government 101, except for if we call it that, you would all start snoozing right away. That's about the most boring name that we could possibly think of for what we're gonna talk about. So let's go this way instead. Let's pretend you are, uh, you know, you're on the internet, you're clicking around, surfing, doing whatever, and you see it, there it is, the flashing, annoying ad right there in the corner that says, three shocking truths about God and your government. Number two will blow your mind, <laughs> right? Some of you will click on that. So let's just, you know, forgive everybody here, and let's click on that together today, okay? There we go. All right, so, but our first shocking truth about God and government is that God is not a Republican or a Democrat. He's not. And, you know, you might say, oh, that's not too shocking. I would never say he is or anything, but let's crank it up a notch. Let's make it a little more shocking. Not only is God not a Democrat and not a Republican, but God never aligns himself with human organizations, period. That's worth a little bit more thinking about, isn't it? What? God never aligns? What, what are we doing here? <laughs> Aren't we kind of in a human organization here, Canyon Ridge Church? Don't we kind of believe God's a member here? 
No. No, we do not. Not even at our beloved CRC do we believe that God is going to sign up and say, I want to be a part of what you guys are doing. No. The, absolute, the truth is that God will never follow Canyon Ridge Church. Canyon Ridge Church needs to follow God. My favorite scripture on this that, that supports this truth, there's plenty of them, of course, we'll go through one today, is in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and following. Uh, if you don't know who Joshua was, he was the leader of the nation of Israel after Moses died. Moses is a pretty famous guy, but he did die eventually, and Joshua had to take over. And it was at the moment right before Israel was going to finally receive their promise. Israel is the chosen people of God. That's how they're known. God is revealing himself through history in Israel. These are the people. And they're about to get the land that they have been promised for hundreds of years to receive since the days of Abraham. It's a pretty momentous moment. Joshua is outside the, uh, the walls, just walking in the area around the first city that they're going to have to figure out how to conquer because they're going to have to take over this land eventually. Um, he's out there walk, out for a walk and he encounters God himself. Now he doesn't know it's God at first uh, because he just looks like a man. He looks like a warrior. He's carrying a sword. Um, but he encounters God himself and listen to the conversation that he has with him. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what, what, what message does my Lord have for his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see that reversal there? You want proof that God doesn't align with human organizations? Look no further than this. If there's one group of people you think that God would possibly join up with, you'd think it'd be the nation that he created himself, he built history around this, and he called these people his chosen people. Don't you think God would want to be along with what's going on there? But it's right there in black and white. Joshua, sell, Joshua says, tell me whose side you're on, God. Are you on God's chosen people's side? That's the right answer. Or the other guys. And God says plainly, no, none of the above. You want to know what side God's on? God is on God's side. Amen. It's up to us to align with him. So I hope that can be even a starting point for us that underlies you know, everything else politically. You know, So many people fighting for which side is right. It sure means a lot to me to know that God hasn't picked any of those sides. He's got his own thing going on. He's got his own side. And that doesn't mean, again, that it's wrong for us to, you know, join a party or join a movement or, you know, support a side ourselves. That doesn't mean that. There's nothing in the Bible that says never do that. But it sure should inform how we do that if we know where God stands on the issue, right? It sure means a lot to me to know that God is never going to say, I will follow this organization wherever it goes. The second shocking truth about God and government is that all government authorities govern on behalf of God. Or said another way, God establishes all ruling authorities. And here's the part that, as promised, will blow your mind. 
even the bad ones. God establishes all ruling authorities, even the bad ones. He appoints bad authorities in our governments as well as the good ones. Sure, there are human processes that go on, right? There are, there's voting and there's political appointments and things like that that, you know, you'd say, well, that's how they got there. But God, God's word tells us that when all is said and done, it is God himself giving these people their legitimate authority to govern. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. There is no authority except that which God has established. That's a pretty strong statement. We see a lot of authorities, parents, teachers, police officers, judges, bosses, governors, presidents, all authority figures, all established by God. And all means even the bad ones, even the ones you didn't vote for, <laughs> even the ones you can't stand. <laughs> the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, does that mean be hopeless? Does that mean, well, I shouldn't vote anyway? Obviously, it doesn't make a difference. God's going to pick who he wants. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that we have to believe that God supernaturally intervenes and handpicks everybody, and it doesn't matter what we do. That's not what it says, even. What does it say? Romans 13 doesn't say God handpicks all leaders. I mean, he certainly can and has shown places in history where he does. But what it does say is that God establishes all the authority that they hold, whether or not they realize it. What we do need to believe is that this shows us God supports a system of law and order. God is not an anarchist. It's right here. He says there are layers of authority and they're all mine. God is not an anarchist. He favors a system with order and with authority. And he's the one who gives any and all leaders the right to exercise that authority. Look at what Romans 13 goes on to say. It tells us, yes, God gave these leaders authority, but that authority even has a purpose that's given by God. Verse four says, the one in authority is God's servants for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Be very afraid. Be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishments on the wrongdoer. You know, I've heard people question the government, the legitimacy of the government. How is it fair that our government can make laws and enforce them and punish people for breaking them? Who gives them the right? All of this is legitimate authority delegated to them by God. Good for us to know. <laughs> Good for us to know because when we rebel against this authority, when we disrespect this authority, when we deny this authority, when we mock this authority, God is not pleased. Verse 2 tells us that we do so to reap judgment on ourselves because we're going against what God has legitimately established. I think in this country, it's very common that we all just kind of give ourselves a free pass, you know, sometimes when it comes to dishonoring politicians. I mean, like, come on, they're politicians, you know? I mean, don't we feel that way? 
Well, sure, it'd be a terrible thing to talk that way about my family. I would never do that. And, you know, I'm not going to talk that way about my neighbors, you know. I got to be a good witness to them. But don't get me started on the president, you know. Don't get me started on the government. Or don't get me started on, wait for it, Congress, right? Because I could say horrible things about them for days and just be getting started. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... I think that's how we act, as if politicians were just fair game for slander and disrespect. Have you heard people say, he's not my president, I didn't vote for him? Have you seen people resort to childish name calling when they talk about our leaders? Maybe you've been one of those people. But from how I read it, the Bible lays out for us a very different approach. That's not where we should be going which brings us to the hardest to accept of our three background truths. What is our role then? What is our role in relationship to these imperfect human institutions and authorities? What are we here for as Christians? There's a lot of different ideas out there. Are we there to fight the power? Huh? Are we, are we here to only obey the stuff that the government does that's right and great and good and perfect and moral and everything that we ever dreamed of? Are we here to, to decry the injustice and corruption that goes on? Are we here to just kind of resolve to like put up with the necessary evil that is governments but never really, you know, never encourage them, never help them in their causes? No. At least none of those things are a good starting point. None of those things are where we begin our relationship with governments. Here's a simple but hard truth we need to accept. God calls us to be model citizens under those governing authorities. God commands his people to be model citizens under our governing authorities. What does that mean? It means we obey the laws. It means we respect and we even honor the people in authority. It means we pay our taxes. And it means we pray for good to come to our leaders and the governing of our nation and our states and our cities. And we don't just pray for their good. We work for their good as well. We want God's will to be done in our leaders' lives and we want his blessing on our nation. Again, let me point you to some scriptures. Romans 13 already tells us that we have to submit to the governing authorities. That's how it starts out. And it goes on to say some other things, but let me show you a different passage of scripture as well. 1 Peter 2 says the same thing and more. Verses 13 through 17 say this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those or to commend those who do right for it is god's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil live as god's slaves show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor and that's a lot of information all in one little space. Five verses, nine commands for you to fulfill, by the way. It's a lot. Plenty for us to look at and go back to later and go, wow, what's all in that verse? But let me try to at least sum it up for, for us here and say, this says, be the best citizens your nation, your state, your city have ever seen. 
Just be the best once. How? Get along with the government. Do good deeds that help people out. Always choose respect with others and honor those in authority and do all this not instead of being a faithful Christian, but as part of being a faithful Christian. You'll notice that in the midst of all this, it's just mixing it all in there. You know, Do all these things in relationship to your government and your authorities, but fear God and put him first. Love the people in his church and be faithful to them too. It's all mixed in together. And in anything our authorities ask us to do that does not contradict God's word, this means that we would happily, selflessly, and prayerfully comply with them as well. Now, people love to take this out and go, but our governments, they don't always ask us to do things that are good. They don't always have our best interests in the heart. They don't always, okay, well, what if, right? What if, I'm not going to go down this rabbit trail very long, but what if the government has a place or a time where they ask us to do something against what God has asked of us to do? We spend a long time with that, but the short answer is we may need to disobey. We may need to disobey those human authorities in the best, most respectful and loving way possible. How good are you at doing that? <laughs> I think we love to disobey in a blaze of glory <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but we may need to disobey the human authorities in the very best, most respectful and loving way possible. Now, for a longer and more interesting answer than that, let me give you something that you can read this week, also fully endorsed by God, which is the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Awesome book, okay? This is a great story about God working through a person's life, and there's some great prophecies in there that are hard to understand. It's wonderful, but it's a story of Daniel, who's a very faithful person of God, living under and working for a government that constantly went directly against things that would honor God. Read that book and see how he responded. And you might learn some things. Well, there's more we could go into, but if I could only pick three, which I can, only pick three for our foundational truths this morning. It's all we got time for. But if I could only pick three, it'd be those three. I don't know if they're truly shocking truths to you, but in my observation, if we already just know all of this stuff, we sure seem to forget it pretty easily. You know, one, God is not a party loyalist for any political party, nor will he ever be. Of course he isn't, but then why do we talk like he is? Why do we question people's Christianity when they support a different party than we do? Two, all authority is established by God. Three, our job is to be the best citizens that those authorities have ever seen. Okay, sure, you can say that makes sense, but is that what you see when you consider the average Christian? Is that what other people would say when they consider you? I know that I've seen in Christian circles, there's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of criticism. There's a lot more slanderous talk about our leaders than I would care to even stop and think about. But honor, respect, and a humble and submissive attitude towards those in authority, working and praying for their good, I think we could use a lot more 
of those things. Now we can stop right there and have something really good to take home with us. That's already a lot right there. I mean, in this election season, I guarantee you that from all the messages you're getting on TV and the news and the internet, what you hear from the candidates themselves, none of those sources is going to help us grapple with the truth that you've already heard. None of those is pressing those truths from God's word. We're being bombarded every day with every kind of story, quote, meme, tweet, text, message about politics, but we're missing some of the messages that matter the most. So I'm glad for those of you who made it here or those of you who are listening on the podcast. I'm glad that we've had at least one venue, one time out of all of this chaos to pause and ask ourselves, what does God even have to say about any of all of this? But I do think that God has one more thing that we just have to address before we're done this morning. We need to talk about how we talk about politics. We need to talk about how we talk about politics. Yeah, I don't think God wants us to finish today without looking at this particularly hot topic. Because this is where the rubber meets the road every day. Don't get me wrong, I think everything we've discussed up until this point is vital for us to know. It's very relevant. It's gonna have a lot of implications for us to know, to understand, and to respond to. But the thing that you're gonna run into the most, the thing that you will engage in the most is talking about politics. It's everywhere. You cannot avoid it. Political speech is on TV, on websites, it's in printed media in every single form. It's on signs and bumper stickers. It's where people gather. It's where people uh, you know, have rallies and events. It's on every form of social media, and it currently just shows up, even if it's not invited, into any conversation at random. I got home from the grocery store the other day. My neighbor was out in her yard and said, hey, how's it going? Hi to her. And she's like, oh, I just wanted to introduce you to my, my new landscaper. He's over here. He's finishing up some work. I want to introduce you to him. Met the guy. We exchanged names. And within two minutes, the guy was telling me everything he thought about the presidential election and the candidates and who was not so good and who was good. And I don't think he stopped for about 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> so you can't even just be a friendly neighbor without running into this issue and getting sucked into talking about politics. And we do get sucked in, don't we? Yep. This just, the problem is this isn't just any conversation. This isn't sports. That can be a little contentious, I know, but this isn't sports. This isn't hobbies. There's like this massive brawl out there. <laughs> and every political comment has an edge to it. Every political view has this opinion that says, oh, I'm with these people, but I'm not so with those people. I don't support these. I don't agree with these people. Every reply to that comment can either be some agreement that you know, makes that person feel even more right and great and wonderful, or it turns into an attack. It could be something that hurts, something that tells us, you know, well, you're not gonna let them say that to you. You gotta, you gotta respond to that. You gotta get back at that. Their comment is wrong. They can't tell you that and just expect you to take it. And the fire just gets fueled. It's not a safe world out there for those who begin to discuss politics with others. 
Now, some of us, have, we've felt that hurt very directly, right? We, we know how offensive and how brutal people with a different viewpoint have been to us. Some of us have been that offender. We have made careless remarks that devalue whole groups of people. Or we have made intentional statements that chop others down to size and make them look stupid in front of an audience. You know, we've always got this audience now, Facebook and Twitter. Everybody can see how we're chopping people down. And many of us have, frankly, we've experienced both sides, you know? And we've, we kind of can feel helpless about it. Like there's nothing that can be done, you know? It, you hear people say the phrase all the time, you know, it, it is what it is, right? It's, it's just politics. It's just an election year. It's what people do. It's just that time when everybody thinks they know better than everybody else, and we all fight about it. And it's just unavoidable. But God tells us what it really is. It's playing with fire. Thousands of years ago, James, brother of Jesus, wrote about the awful power and potential that we have in what we say. And if you've been doing 20-minute mornings with us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been reading about this for the last month, and I am grateful you have because it's the word we need to hear today. Amen. We need this truth now more than ever. In James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, he tells us the tongue is the smallest part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set, or a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And when we jump into that big fight that's out there, it isn't just talking politics. It's lighting a fire and not being able to control where it burns. It isn't just posting a link on Facebook. It's spreading poison through a very effective distribution system, by the way. It's destroying relationships. It's dividing people and not bringing them closer together. It's fueling sinful pride. And so many Christians aren't doing anything any differently than the rest of the world. We're just playing along. We're just as bad. We use extreme language to describe those we don't agree with. We insult and call names. We verbally assault people who won't listen to us. We post offensive articles and memes to Facebook. Oh, they're not offensive to us but they have a tone that is completely disrespectful to anyone that disagrees with them. We click like on other people's disrespectful posts. We speak out of ignorance. We give our strong opinions to people who never expressed an interest in hearing them. And you know what? These days we don't even try to hide any of it. We don't. It's all out in the open. Our words, our opinions, our judgments. So much of that is distributed around the world to our 500 plus closest friends the moment we hit enter on a keyboard. Make no mistake, when you post online, 
That is still exactly what the Bible is talking about when it talks about your tongue. It's talking about what you say, what you communicate. And if James thought the tongue was bad 2,000 years ago, when people didn't even have paper in their home, usually, what would he think of today? As he saw our speech today being instantly sent to hundreds of people on the internet. That's not just a burning fire. Now everybody's like, hey, we got the spare gasoline here. We might as well use some of that. Fire wasn't spreading quick enough fastest before. Maybe we can help it out. Oh, we've got our excuses, right? Everyone's doing it. Uh, we didn't start the fire. Uh, we're just responding. Uh, this, is, this isn't that bad. It's just a friendly debate. No one takes it seriously. Or here's the one that I think the Christians really go for. This is, the, the, I think, the favorite Christian excuse. We have the truth. We have the truth, and if we don't stand up for the truth, our society is de destined for destruction. So we've gotta do whatever it takes to convince other people that we're right. Now, yeah, that might get ugly sometimes, unavoidable, it's politics, but it's for the greatest good. That sounds pretty, pretty Christian, huh? We may not say it in our heads that way, but that's what drives us. We have this sense of righteousness about it. Like, hey, my beliefs and my opinions, they come straight from God. And I have a sacred duty to impose them on others. I'm only doing it to help them. But here's the problem with that. Here is the problem. Doing the right thing the wrong way is still just doing the wrong thing. Don't miss that. Doing the right thing the wrong way is still just doing the wrong thing. I think we lose sight of that pretty quickly. I mean, we're passionate people, right? We see politics and we see an opportunity. There is a chance to actually make changes in our society and in our nation. And we wanna see things as they should be for once. And so we jump in the fray, this giant fight, this brawl of words and ideas. And some of us try to just, we just wanna be the best word brawler there is in the hopes that maybe that out of that, our understanding of good will win the day. That's the only system that's available to us. We, we're just playing their system so that good will win. But the Bible's really clear on this, folks. The Bible is really clear on our requirements. We are only to speak the truth in love. We are only to speak the truth in love. That is not just a helpful tip. That is not just a good idea. That is God's requirement of you and me. Ephesians 4.15 describes speaking the truth in love as part of what is required and expected of people who are growing in maturity in their relationship with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, if it wasn't clear enough, read the first four verses. It tells us in no uncertain terms that it doesn't matter how great we are. It doesn't matter how smart we are. It does not matter how right we are or even how spiritually mature we think we are. If we don't have love, none of that matters. 
Without love, it says we are like a loud, annoying noise. We're like cymbals and gongs crashing and clanging while other people are just begging for us to stop. Stop. Please. Without love, it says we are nothing and we have gained nothing. And what that means is that we have nothing to give others. If we are nothing and we have gained nothing, then that argument of we've got the truth and we've got to give it to them, that falls apart. Without love, we are nothing and we have gained nothing. So we don't have anything to give to others. So we shouldn't kid ourselves. If we're not loving to others when we speak, we shouldn't be saying anything at all. Doing the right thing the wrong way is still just doing the wrong thing. Speaking the truth without love really just sends one very loud message. I don't value you. Speaking the truth without love sends one really loud message. Not the one you think you're sending. It says, I don't value you. And when we get to that point, and we all get to that point, I hate to say it, when we get to that point where with whatever we're speaking, when we're speaking that without love, it might not be in politics, maybe you got that one locked up, but if it's with your kids, if it's with your spouse or your family, or the people you work with, or anyone. Whenever we get to that point where we are speaking without love, it no longer matters how right we are. We need to stop, close our mouths, ask for forgiveness, and start over. We have to. James talks a lot, as 58% of you know, James talks a lot about the importance of what we say, but really, if you look at his emphasis, his emphasis is on saying less. Saying less, that's not popular advice for today. We're finding all sorts of ways to say more and faster and more often. But James's teaching would say this to us, say less, listen more, Control what you do say very tightly and be more concerned about actually doing right instead of making sure everybody else knows you are right. That's my summary for James. We can't spend all the time on that. That would be so fun to do. But wouldn't that make Christians different? Wouldn't that make us so different if we said less? If we listened more, if we controlled what we do say very tightly, and if we were more concerned about doing right than we were about convincing everybody else that they are wrong. It's a crazy world out there right now. You can't hardly go to the store or hang out with friends 
or even look at whatever alert popped up on your phone without seeing that there is conflict, there is debate, there are accusations and assumptions, promises and lies being thrown around at a furious rate like you've never seen before. But God's word was written thousands of years ago and it still has so much in it to guide us that we desperately need to pursue today. We don't have to play this game the same way everyone else is. And in fact, we must not. Ours is a path that honors God first, that works and hopes for the very highest good for the authorities who are in place, whoever they are. And ours is a path that refuses to speak even the most important of truths without love. Let's pray. God, it's easy to say it's a mess out there. But today, and as we leave this place, I ask you that you would help us do something harder to look at ourselves and to acknowledge it's a mess in here too. Forgive us, Lord, for copying what we see in the world, copying the world's attitudes, speech, the world's carelessness, even the world's cruelty to others. When you have called us and commissioned us to be so much more than that. Help us to live differently, God, to say less, to listen more, to show the world your goodness through love and good works. We ask these things in Jesus' name.